thank you. I appreciate that. All right, how many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building tonight? I want to ask you to join me once again, if you will, back in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament tonight, chapter number 1, the book of Malachi chapter 1. And it's the last book in the Old Testament. And so if you can find the book of Matthew, just flip back one book and you're there in the book of Malachi, page number uh, uh, 980. And I'd like to read some verses here, and then I'll ask, if you will, to leave your Bibles open and just follow me along here for just a moment. And again, I want to remind you, our service on Sunday, hope you'll be back. If you're visiting, we'd love for you to come back again Sunday. And then if you're a member here, please pray for the services, and let's ask the Lord to meet with us and help us. A lot of our folks were out of town this past week because of the 4th of July, and I guess some of them will be back this coming Sunday, and then another crowd will take off. But that's okay. It's summertime, isn't it? Everybody needs to take a vacation, don't they? Amen. Uh, Amen. We need a vacation occasionally. You know, Jesus said, uh, told his disciples, and I like what Vance Habner said. He said Jesus told his disciples to come apart, and if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. And so uh, that's the truth, isn't it? Everybody needs a vacation. I don't blame anybody from going while you can, but just don't go all year. All right? And uh, be back soon. Pray for your uh, church and pray that God will help us. Look at Malachi chapter 1. I want to begin reading with verse number 1. I'd like to read down through verse 10. And I'm going to try to wrap this up, what I started last time, and uh, just so we can go ahead and have fellowship. Look at verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. So God makes a statement. Hey, I love y'all. Yet ye say, Israel said... Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I'll throw down. They shall, they shall call them, the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. Then we come to verse 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name, and ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye have offered polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray ye beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This has been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle a fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. All right, let's reading those verses tonight. Can I mention this before we pray? Hope for Hurting Parents is uh, this coming Tuesday, July the 9th at 7 o'clock. Is that right? And if you'll just come in the uh, 
glass doors out front, and there'll be somebody that will greet you and help you to get situated where the, uh, uh, where the meeting will take place. And while I'm just on the subject of if you know somebody that's struggling with their children, this program is not for children, it's for adults, for parents. If you know somebody that's really struggling with their children, you might want to recommend them the hope for the hurting parents. Well, let's pray. Father, would you please bless your word tonight and help us, I pray, and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If you think back to a couple of Wednesday nights ago, you may recall that I started a series of sermons from the Old Testament book of Malachi. Not only the Old, an Old Testament book, but the last book of our Old Testament. The book of Malachi is almost 2,500 years old. And if you're like me, you probably think to yourself, what in the world can a book that is 2,500 years old have to do with life as we know it in these days? But don't let the dating or the age of this book fool you because this book is right up to date with where you and I are living in these days. There are a lot of similarities between Malachi's day and our day. In the, the people of Malachi's day was living before the coming of the Lord, the first coming of the Lord. We know that the book of Malachi is the la God's last word before the 400 years of silence between the two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. When God got through speaking to the prophet of Malachi, he would not speak again for 400 years. There'd be no vision, there'd be no dream, there'd be no angelic voice. For 400 years, God set up in heaven, shrouded himself in the clouds, and literally just grew silent. The silence of the 400 years was absolutely deafening. And then, of course, we have the visit of the angels to Joseph as the New Testament opens up, and God has a word that his son is on the way. Well, you and I also are living in the days prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Malachi's day, the first coming. You and I are living before the second coming of the Lord Jesus. The people of Malachi's day lived at the age of, of uh, the, the, the end of, a, of an age of dispensation. They lived at the end of the days of the law. You and I are living at the end of the days of grace. So there are a lot of similarities between what the people of Malachi's day were going through and what you and I are going through as well. But the thing that interests me about this book is this. For that crowd living in those last days, God had a message for those people. I said it like this, deity had a message for laity and deity had a message for the clergy and the clergy had a message for the laity. God had a message for his man and God's man had a message for his people. Now, if you'll look back at verse number one, we know that it was a heavy message, a heavy message because verse one says it was a burden, a burden. A burden is something that is, uh, that is heavy, and uh, what Malachi saw happening in his day was very heavy. It brought great sorrow and heaviness to his heart. By the way, you can rest assured that if it was bringing heaviness to the heart of Malachi, you can only imagine the heaviness that it was bringing to the heart of Almighty God. God is grieved many times by the condition that his people are living in. And so it was a heavy message, but it was a heavenly message because we're told in verse 1 that this burden was the word of the Lord. So what we have here in Malachi preaching to these people was God's word to these people living at the end 
of an age. God has a message for us tonight. And these people rejected that message. They argued against the message that Malachi had to preach or prophesy. But remember that if the preacher is preaching the Word of God, you're not rejecting the preacher. In reality, you're rejecting God Himself. It's one thing to turn a preacher off. It's another thing to turn God off. When people get upset at the preaching of the Word of God, if the preacher is preaching the Bible... Now, sometimes the preacher preaches his opinion. The reason I know that is because I do it enough. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, I'll laugh about it. You don't have to. But anyway, but if a preacher is preaching the Bible and telling us what the Word of God has to say, look, don't get mad at the preacher. It's the Word of God. Take your Bibles out in the parking lot, throw them down, stomp on them. It's the Word of God. We, we are rejecting God and not a preacher. So God would continually in this first, these first ten verses, God would say to these people, hey, i got something that I want to say to you, and these people would almost argue back against what God was saying. God was speaking to these people, telling them something, making a statement to them, and their attitude and answer toward that was, oh, yeah, really? That was their attitude. You know, in these days, God has something to say to our culture. God has something to say to our society, and it's almost like the response of the people of our day is, oh, yeah, really? I mean, that's just the way it is. And God was speaking. The trouble is the people just weren't listening. Sounds similar to the day and age in which you and I are living in. Well, I want you to join me now in this, this chapter real fast, 15 minutes or so. Let me show you what God was saying, and then let's look at what the people were saying. First of all, notice in verse number 2, again, let me remind you, number 1, these people had doubted, they doubted the love of God. They doubted God's love. Look at verse, one, uh, verse 2. God says to the nation of Israel, I have loved you, saith the Lord. In other words, God was saying, hey, I just want to tell you all before we even get started, I've got something to say to you. I love you. Well, aren't you glad that we serve a God that's like that? I mean, God looked at that crowd of Malachi's day as cold and callous and indifferent as they were, and God said, I just want to tell you before we even get started, I just want you to know I love you. And I'm glad that I can tell everybody in this world tonight, everybody in this room, everybody listening by the way of radio, everybody in this world tonight, I'm glad I can tell you, hey, God says, I love you. That's exactly right. You say, preacher, surely not after the way I've been living. Surely he don't love me. Well, you're, you're, you're wrong because even in spite of the way you may be living, there is a God in heaven that says, hey, tell him, tell him, people, I love them. But then if you look again at verse number 2, these people were arguing that fact. The Bible said in verse 2, Yet ye say, the people were saying, Wherein hast thou loved us? In other words, God said, Hey, tell them I love them. And the people said, Oh, yeah? Really? They were arguing. They were doubting the love of God. Now, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 31 in verse number 3 that God has loved us with an everlasting love. God will never, ever go on vacation and say to you and me, I'm not going to love you right now. God will never even so much as take a 30-second time out and say, I don't want to love you right now. I'm just going to take a break from that. 
I'm just through with loving you. You never reciprocate my love. You never return my love, so forget it. I'm not going to love you right now. God will never say that. You know why? Because he has loved us with an everlasting. From eternity to eternities, a man or woman may die and go to hell unsaved. And they will. But nobody will ever go to hell unloved. Nobody. There's no such thing in God's eyes as an unwanted child. I know we're living in a day of disposable children, unwanted children. People want to run all over the country and make babies. But when it comes time to raise babies, they just want to give them to somebody, leave them on the doorstep, set them out, throw them in a trash can, and we say, hey, they're unwanted children. But I want to tell you something, when it comes to God, there's no such thing as an unwanted child. God wants everybody, everybody to become his child. So God said, I love you. Their response, oh, yeah? Really? Well, then look again at verse number 2. And God said this, Was not Jacob, es uh, I'm sorry, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. Now, again, I just want to remind you, I'm moving on. Don't let that, don't let that uh, disturb you or upset you. A lot of people say, see there, he chose Jacob and he rejected Esau. But I just want to remind you again, what we got here is hyperboles, known in literature as hyperboles, comparative language. And what God is saying is this, I have loved Jacob so much. Jacob was Israel, we know that. I have loved y'all so much that the love that I have for y'all in comparison with the love that I have for Esau looks like a love and hate relationship. Uh, by the way, the thing that amazes me about this statement is not this, that he hates Esau. The thing that amazes me is that he loves Jacob. Amen. Jacob, Jacob we know was a liar. He cheated his way through life. He was the deceiver. He stole. I mean, he was a scoundrel. And the amazing thing is, God said, hey, I want to tell you something. I love that old scoundrel. I love that cheater. I love that deceiver. I love that liar. That's the amazing thing, that God would love Jacob. And he goes on to prove it according to verse number 3. Uh, God said, I, I have laid Esau's heritage uh, uh, and his mountains waste for the dragons, for the beasts of the wilderness. And by the way, you say, preacher, explainify all that. Well, that's easy. You've got to remember that Esau became the father of the Edomites. The Edomites were the first cousins of the Israelites. How many of y'all got first cousins? If you're alive, you probably somewhere got a first cousin. All right? So the Edomites and the Israelites were first cousins. But here's the thing. The Edomites hated the Israelites. We have an Old Testament book called the book of Obadiah. It's one of the little postcards of our Bible. It's only one chapter. It has about 16 verses. But that whole book is about God's punishment of the Edomites because of the way that they treated the Israelites. For example, when the Babylonians attacked Judah and carried the Israelites off into captivity, the Edomites, their first cousins, laughed about it. They actually told the Babylonians, hey, you, you missed some. There's some hit out over here. You missed them. Go get them as well. And I mean, they were. And then they looted the cities of Jerusalem after the Babylonians left with the captivities of the people. I'm here to tell you, these Edomites treated God's people terribly. And maybe that explains a little bit about why God was so angry with them. Because God said to the nation of Israel, I will bless him that blesses you, Israel. 
and I will curse him that curses you. That's why, once again, on this 4th of July Eve, I want to say that America, if America ever cuts ties with Israel, we are beneath. We're done. I mean, right, I mean, stick a fork in us, cut the light out, put us in the freezer, start the bus. We're done if we ever quit being a friend and ally to the nation of Israel. God said, I love you. Oh, yeah? Really? You ever had that kind of an attitude before? Number one, they doubted God's love. Notice, secondly, in this text that they not only doubted God's love, look again down at verse number six. They dishonored, they dishonored God's name. Now look again at verse 6, and God says this, A son honoreth his father, and a, and a servant his master. Now God is using an everyday illustration that all of Israel was familiar with. For instance, God said, I just I want to tell you that as I look around that children, a son will pay honor and respect his father. And by the way, they ought to. It's in the Bible. We ought to respect and honor our parents. Amen. And then he said, and I look around and I see servants who obey their masters. But then God come to verse number 6 and said this now, but, if, but if, um, uh, if I'm a father, where's my honor? And if I'm your master, where's my obedience? Where's, where's your fear to reverence and obey me? Now you understand that those two analogies uh, kind of depict what our relationship with God is all about. Because we know that once we become saved, we become God's child. And we have a heavenly Father in the person of the Lord Jesus. Amen? That's one of the things that happens to us. When we become saved, when we get saved, we become a father, a, a child who has a father. Now, before we're saved, God is not our Father. God is our Creator, but He's not our Father. You know, back during the 70s when I was growing up, there was, a, there was a doctrine floating around, and it was called the fatherhood of God. And what they said back in those days was God was everybody's father, and everybody was brothers and sisters, and everybody was God's child. Now, there's only one thing wrong with that. The Bible said the only way to become God's child is to be born into God's family. And the only way to be born into God's family is to receive God's Son, the Lord Jesus, as your personal Lord and your Savior. So before you're saved, God may be your Creator, but He's not your Father. But once you become saved, God then becomes your Father. Well, I'm so glad that I'm a son with a father tonight. I'm so glad that I'm in the family of God. Hey, by the way, if you're in the family, guess what? We are brothers and sisters. You say, well, I don't like you. Well, I don't like my sisters. That's in my family. I'm kidding. But you know, so we may not like each other, but we love each other, don't we? Amen. You don't, you don't like your in-laws, but you, you love them, but you don't like them. You love them, but you don't want to go on vacation with them, do you? I mean, you don't have to like everybody, but you're still supposed to love everybody. So really, when I got saved, guess what? God is now my Father. And just as I honor my earthly Father, I sure ought to honor my heavenly Father. And, and then another analogy is this, the master and servant relate. Now, we don't like that one too much. We, we get all that, that warm and fuzzy feeling about God being my Father and, boy, I'm His child. And we sing, a, you know, I'm a child of the King. Jesus loves the Lord. We sing that, and, boy, it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. 
on the inside. But the same Bible that says that he's our father and we're his child also says he's our master and we're his servants. Let me tell you something. When you got saved, you just didn't receive a Savior. You received a Lord. The Bible said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. The Bible said in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in other words, and I know it takes people sometimes a little while to grow into that and realize that, but let me tell you something, friend. When you get saved, you just don't receive a Savior that's going to keep you out of hell. You then receive a Lord that's going to straighten your life out. He's going to start making some demands of your life. I, I've said this before. God loves you just the way you are, but He also loves you too much to leave you like that. God only has one son. What was His son's name? Somebody tell me. Jesus. God only has one son, but he has many sons, if that makes sense. The Bible said, for as many, uh, what is that, John 1, 12, but as many as received him, the same gave he the power to become the sons of God. God has only one begotten son, Jesus. But everybody that gets saved becomes God's sons and daughters. But here's the thing about it. God wants all of his children to act like his one son, the Lord Jesus. So once we become saved, God begins to work on us to conform us, to help us to be a reflection of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus. So he starts making demands of our life. The, uh, people love that little baby Jesus laying in the cradle at Christmas, but when that little baby Jesus steps out of that tomb and says, I am he that was dead and I'm alive forevermore, and, and, and I am Lord, and I tell you, here's how things are going to be from here on out, people say, no, sir, I don't want that Jesus. But let me tell you something. Hey, getting saved not like a buffet line where you kind of go down there, you pick and choose what you want. You might do that in K&W, praise God. But that ain't how it works in the Christian life because when you get saved, you receive a Savior who is also a Lord. And He, as a, as a master, has every right to tell us as His servants what we are and are not going to do. Can I tell you something? It's not up to me Sunday morning if I'm going to be in Sunday school. My master's already said to be here. My response, yes, sir. It's not up to me whether I'm going to tithe. I've already paid my tithes for this Sunday. I beat you all to it. I've already paid my tithe for this Sunday. It's not up to me whether I give or not. You know why? He's already made that decision for me. My response, yes, sir. It's not up to me where I'm going to be in church Sunday night if I'm able enough to come, well enough to come, and have the mentality to be here. It's not up to me if I'm going to be in church Wednesday night. You know why? He's already told me to be here. My response, yes, sir. He's the master. I'm the servant. And God said, now, wait a minute. If a, if a child gives honor to his earthly father, and if a servant gives honor to his master, hey, can I just ask y'all something God said? I love you. Where's my honor? Hey, where's my respect? Where's the obedience that you owe to me? And, and, and God said, hey, I love you. I, I want you. And they said, oh, yeah? Really? You're really our master? You're really our father? So they not only doubted God's love, they despised God's name. But I want you to see a third thing that they've done, and this is my favorite one. Because they not only, not only doubted God's love and despised his name, but if you look at verse 7 and following, they defiled God's altar. Now, I've got to remind you of something right here. I've got to remind you of something. Back in these days, when they came to bring an offering to the Lord, they didn't grab a tithing envelope 
stuff some money in it. That's not how things worked back in those days. So when they come to offer or bring their offering to the Lord, it was either in the form of some kind of an animal, a bullock, or a lamb, as the case may be, or it, if they were poor, poorer people, God had made provision where the poor of the land could just bring some turtle doves. They were very cheap. And, uh, or if you were more financially well off, you brought a bullock or a lamb with you, a ram to sacrifice. Or maybe in some time, maybe in some cases, you would bring uh, some, some meal or some, uh, some wheat or barley and bring it to the Lord and set it down before the Lord. Now, in our day, we don't bring animals to the Lord. Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad for our left now I didn't have to call one of our dogs and say, Hey, hey, Pepper, come and get in the car. Come here. We're going to church tonight, son. Uh, child, we're going to offer you up as a sacrifice. Come here, boy. I didn't have to do that. Aren't you glad we didn't have to bring a bullock? We could, could you just imagine what would be all in our parking lot? If we had to pull carts in here with bullocks in them. Can you just imagine the fun? We'd, be, we'd still be out there pushing, trying to get them things to come into church. We don't do that. You know what we do? We grab a tithing envelope and stick an offering. But here's the problem in that day. If you look at verse 7, they were offering to God their leftovers. Look at verse 7. Yet, uh, verse 7, ye offer polluted bread upon my altar, and ye say... Wherein have we polluted you? And God said, hey, man, you're, you're bringing me polluted sacrifices. Their response, oh, yeah, really? And that was just their attitude toward God. Look at verse 8. And if you offer the blind for a sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? In other words, what God's saying, hey, when it comes time to offer sacrifices to me, you give me the worst you got. I mean, that, you go get that cow, eat up with the mange. Got worms. Ribs are sticking through its side. You go get the diseased cow and bring it to me. God said there in verse number 8, he said, hey, uh, or, or you, you go back there and you get the, when it comes to the bullock, you bring me the one that's had his eyes gouged out. He's blind, can't even see where he's going. Now God had strict, watch this, God had strict rules and regulations regarding these sacrifices. Here's what God said about those sacrifices back in the Deuteronomy book of Deuteronomy, look at this. And if there be any blemish therein, as if it be lame or blind or have any ill blemish, thou shalt not sacrifice it unto the Lord thy God. God said, don't you come bringing me, you blind cow. Don't you come bringing me that, that, that bullock that was born with three legs. Don't you come bringing me that uh, ram that's missing an ear. Don't bring me that stuff. You know why? Our offerings, those offerings were a picture of the perfect offering that God was going to make in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus. May I remind us all that God didn't send an angel down here to die in our place. God didn't send an angel down here with a broke wing. The other flapping around, that other wouldn't even work. God didn't send an angel down here that was missing an eyeball. God didn't send an angel with the mange that didn't have any feathers on it to die in our place. God sent the best he had in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. That's how much God loved us. Gave the best that heaven had to die in our place. And then God said, and you have the audacity to bring me your leftovers. God said, hey, don't bring me that buggy meal. Don't bring me that stuff's got the, the bugs in it. I don't want that. 
He said in verse 8, look at this. He said, offer that to your governor. See if he's pleased with it. Hey, bring that disease bullock in here and call your politician over here and see if they want it. Amen. God said, don't, don't, don't bring me that your leftover stuff. In fact, if you'll look at verse 10, and I'm going to wrap this up. God said, if this is the way things are going to be, and all I get is your leftovers, God said, I just assume that we shut the doors and let the fire go out. Isn't that pitiful? That's what he said there in verse number 10. He talked about there just shutting the doors and don't even start the fire on the altar. God said, I'm not going to accept them old sacrifices you're trying to bring me. You say, preacher, what's all that got to do with us? How many of us offer to God our leftovers? Well, God, I'll tell you now, here's the way it's going to be now. It's the 4th of July weekend, and I just want you to know that I love you and thank you for the freedom that we have in America. But now, look, I'm leaving, God. And here's the thing. I'm not going to get back to late Saturday night. I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to get up Sunday morning. But if I do, I'll come. Or here it is. Here it is. Lord, you know it's vacation time. And I'm just going to be honest with you, Lord. Now, this place I'm going to spend my vacation is going to cost me X amount of dollars. And I've got the money, but, Lord, i got a little bit more than that. And if I have anything left over when I get back, I'll give you your five on Sunday morning. God said, I just shouldn't, with that kind of an attitude, I just assume for y'all to shut the doors, let the fire go out, and let's forget the whole thing if all you're going to give me is your leftovers. Amen. God said, hey, I deserve your best because I gave my best for you. They defiled the altar and their attitude. Oh, yeah? Really? Boy, sounds a lot like our day, don't it? Preacher gets up and says, hey, God said this. Oh, yeah? Really? Well, I don't want to have that kind of an attitude, do you? Some of y'all kind of bowed up at me already tonight. We ain't even got good and started yet. Hey, let's love the Lord. Let's give him our best. Let's pray. Father.